I'm going to ask you this morning, open your Bibles to Revelations chapter 4. Revelations chapter 4. And today we're going to look at a lot of verses in Scripture as we go through. I've entitled this message today, An Introduction to Heaven. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the topic of heaven over the next few weeks to say, what does the Scripture say about heaven? And I'm going to start here in Revelations chapter 4, if you follow along with me in your Bible. Uh, Revelations chapter 4, I'll be reading from the New American Standard. It reads as follows. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and, a, and sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, and the second creature was like a calf, and the third creature had the face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are all full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy art thou, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for thou didst create all things and because of of thy will they existed and were created. What an amazing passage of Scripture. I mean, I hope, uh, I, I've read this several times, and always my mind tries to envision what the Apostle John saw. John is taken up in the Spirit into heaven. As a matter of fact, into the throne room of God. And John sees things that transcends our understanding. He hears sounds, and he uses terms like a trumpet. He sees the throne of God and God sitting on the throne. He tries to describe what he sees around the throne of God in words that are common to him at the time. Now, could you imagine... If, if, if the Lord doesn't return and, and we go to year 3,000, the things that we would see, how would we articulate them if we don't have a year 3,000 type of vocabulary? Well, we're going to try and articulate them in the best way possible that we know of with our vocabulary that we know. So when you read this, he uses terms like a or as it were or the sound like a trumpet. But it doesn't mean it's a trumpet. He's just trying to articulate the grandeur. Look at the throne of God that he talks about here. He says in verse 2, I was in the Spirit. Behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like jasper stone and sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Good Lord. Here he sees the throne of God. And he sees things that are amazing. And that's the thing with heaven. When we read Revelation, when we read other scriptures associated with the subject of heaven, there are many, many, many times when we, you know, the writer cannot articulate in fullness exactly what he's seeing here. 
Notice he sees 24 elders seated around the throne of God in verse 4. Four living creatures, each one a little different. You see what he says about the living creatures? One has the face of a calf. One has the face of a, 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 a of a lion, one of a man, and one of an eagle, and they're covered with eyes full and back. Now, I'm not going to, we don't have time to exposit this. I'm just trying to give you the scene and lay out for you the scene that's there. But just notice the amazing thing. They're six-winged creatures, and they fly back and forth, and they, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. How glorious, how spectacular, how amazing this scene. And you know, if you think about it, for thousands of years, it has been, heaven has been the desire of the redeemed of God. People have gone to their death willingly, voluntarily, knowing of the certainty of being with God. God and being with Christ. They've risked their lives for such things. Listen, I personally have counseled many people near death. Hours, sometimes hours before death, sometimes days uh, before death. My own dad. And I have sat with them and I have been able to encourage them with the hope of heaven. I remember when my father passed away four years ago and I was with him as he was dying and I was holding his hand and I was there when he took his, his last breath and I saw that this was it. He's gone. I said, I said to the person who was there, my dad's gone. And then the next words out of my mouth was, oh my goodness, he's in heaven. He's in glory. How many of you have had loved ones that you knew were saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? And no matter how sad their passing, you took solace, you took the consolation in the fact that they have gone to be with the Lord whom they loved. And it's all because of the certainty of hope given to the believer through Christ's salvation on the cross, that we can have that certainty of hope. You know, I'm really looking forward, honestly. I am really, well, I'm, my wife gets mad when I say this. i got to couch my words a little here. I'm looking forward to going to heaven. Now, I'm not going out there, you know, I'm going to ride westbound on an eastbound highway, so I'm not going to do anything stupid like that. But man, I'll tell you, when I start thinking about it, I get excited. I get excited. And I think about those that I know that have gone before me, those that are there. By the way, I believe that those that are there are praying in heaven, right? Prayer doesn't cease on earth. We see this in the book of Revelation. Prayer continues into heaven. Prayers uh, being offered up to God by those that are already in heaven. But the thought of just being in the presence of God is enough to give me willies all up and down my back. What a glorious and a beautiful place. I think about those that have died here on earth, some of them with terrible diseases, right? No more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow. Recently, many books have been written, many non-biblical books have been written about heaven. There have been seven, uh, several movies that have been made about heaven. Perhaps one of the most famous one is Heaven is for Real, about the little boy who uh, had a near-death experience while he had a burst appendix. And most of these, if not all of these, have extra-biblical content in that. And as believers in Christ and Bible-believing Christians, if anything adds to the Scripture, if anything's not found in the Scripture, we cannot accept those things as truth. 
The Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. So in many different ways, heaven is described in many different ways. In some of these books, heaven is described as rainbow-colored streets, and Jesus rides a rainbow-colored horse. And, and, and heaven has been described a place where all of our carnal desires, get this, all of our carnal desires are fulfilled. Our carnal desires. So we're of overabundance of riches and overabundance of food and overabundance of wealth. We used to sing that old gospel hymn, I've got a mansion in glory. And we think, oh, you know, we're thinking of a mansion and, and we're thinking of, you know, like a 10,000 square foot house like we see the celebrities have and so many others. Jesus called them dwelling places. And he said, I go there to prepare a place for you. I don't care what it looks like. I just want to be there. Amen. So why is heaven so important? Is it real or is it just symbolic? Is it just figurative language that the Bible uses? Are there literally streets of gold? Do we hang in a cloud playing a harp with nothing to do? Where is heaven? Who gets to heaven? What, what will believers be like in heaven? Will we have physical bodies in heaven? Will we have memory of things on earth in heaven? These are the questions that we're going to attempt to answer over the next few weeks regarding heaven. Why? Because I think it's imperative that the church understand clearly what it claims to believe. As a matter of fact, one of the things that's happening in our society today is there are people who will call themselves Christians who have no foundation in the Word of God, no foundation in Scripture, and when you are that way, you are apt for false doctrine. That's what happens. So we see things that go on today. That's why churches are making major changes as it regards to biblical teachings around gender, biblical teachings around marriage. Hey, we have big name church here in Orlando that just recently, you know, made some startling revelations uh, regarding gender, regarding marriage, what constitutes the family, and boastfully and proudly advocating for that. Well, why does that happen? It happens because biblical truth is not being taught. That's why that happens. It, ha it happens because people get enamored with the love of Jesus Christ and only the love of Jesus Christ and Jesus loves and Jesus loves and Jesus loves and Jesus would never do this and Jesus would never do that. The words of man supersede the words of God. You have multiple generations ignorant in the things of God. We cannot in these days be ignorant, which is why in this church we teach, we teach, we teach, we teach, we teach, we teach. Maybe some of the times you get sick of all the teaching and say, maybe we could have a little hoedown or something. But we teach the Word of God so that you would know. So how about a little bit of background? How do we sum up heaven? A place that is spoken of so often by Christians, but many Christians really don't know much about it. You know, unbelievers would call heaven boring. I remember in the 90s, Billy Joel had a song. Only the good die young. And there's a line in that song, in Billy Joel's song, where he says, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Sinners have much more fun. Hey, only the good die young. Right? You have a lot of people who say, well, you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. By the way, that should be true of the church, shouldn't it? It should be true of the church. Here's some interesting data. According to a Pew Research study done in November of 2021, so just recently, 73% of Americans believe in heaven. 73% of Americans. These weren't um, just Christians they surveyed. They surveyed anybody. 73% of Americans believe in heaven. 62% of Americans believe in hell. That's interesting. I got an afterlife that's good. I don't want to know about the afterlife. That's bad. 
So that translates, if you really look at the data, that translates to about three out of four people believing in afterlife in heaven, right? By the way, something very interesting I saw in that survey, 26% of agnostics, so almost one quarter of agnostics, believe in heaven. That's kind of weird. Even weirder, 3% of atheists believe in heaven. So people who don't believe there's a God don't believe in the supernatural, yet they believe that there's a heaven. And I guarantee you the 3% of the 3%, all 3% are going to heaven. The word heaven is used 327 times in the Old Testament. It is used 255 times in the New Testament for a combination of 582 times. The Lord Jesus Christ himself spoke of heaven 167 times in the Gospels. The word heaven in the Greek, uranus, it means one of two things, either the visible heavens or the sky and the atmosphere or the spiritual heaven. It depends how it's being used there, right? It refers to that which is raised up, that which is lofty. In the Hebrew, it simply refers to the heights. So you may hear terms like the highest heaven. And we'll talk about that in a little bit more. In the Bible, it talks about three heavens. The first heaven is what we see, where the birds fly and the, and, and the planes fly and you know the atmosphere and everything. That's the, the first heavens. The second heaven that it refers to is the night sky, the planetary, the universe. So the planetary heavens is the second one. But what we're going to focus on is what is called the third heaven. And the third heaven is the abode of God. The dwelling place of God. That term is synonymous with the highest heaven. When you see the scriptures or the Psalms or the prophets talk about the highest heaven, that's what they're referring to, the third heaven. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.2 says this. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, only God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. Paul talks about when he was taken up in the Spirit and he was taken into heaven, just like John was right there. And he says, I was taken up into the third heaven. He continues to write, I saw things which are not lawful to say or to describe. Do you imagine the Apostle Paul, man? Do you imagine John, the things that they saw Paul describes it's not lawful. I think what he's referring to is, I saw the glory of God. I saw the throne room of God. I can't explain it. I can't, I can't. If I were to say it, my words would be so nondescript that they might even constitute blasphemy. Just think about that for a moment. How glorious, how magnificent, how wonderful. God the Father is the center of the third heaven. God the Father, the throne room of God. We saw that in Revelation 4, reveals the throne of God in heaven. We saw the highest heaven. And heaven, by the way, let's just clear this up. Heaven, by the way, is not a state of mind. Heaven is literally a place. Jesus said in John 14:1, Why are your hearts troubled? Neither let it be afraid. Believe in me, and my Father's house are many dwelling places, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I would have told you so. I mean, he didn't say anything like that old song in the 30s, Heaven, I'm in heaven, right? None of that. He didn't say it was a state of mind. It isn't a metaphysical experience. It isn't reaching a particular type of karma. Heaven is a physical place. And in heaven is the throne room of God. 
And God reigns from his throne in heaven. And there it is that God is worshipped. Could you imagine these six-winged creatures flying back and forth? The angels singing and bringing glory to God. The saints that have passed and gone before worshipping before the throne of God and saying glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Wow. Revelations 21. John says this, 21 to 10. He says, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. You know, the new Jerusalem will descend from heaven. Do you know that this current existing heaven will not be the final resting place? For us, neither will it be the final resting place for God. That there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, how glorious that is going to be. So who's in heaven today? Who's in heaven? Heaven is the dwelling place of God. As I mentioned, our Lord Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit is in heaven. The angels are in heaven. The saints of the departed, both of the Old Testament and New Testament, are in heaven. All dwelling there before God, all the departed Christians. Hebrews 12, verse uh, verse 23 says, But you have come to the Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. Deceased believers are in heaven, and they're in heaven awaiting the final resurrection, and they're going to await their final resurrection until they get their resurrected bodies. Will we have physical bodies in heaven? And the answer is yes, we will. So we will have resurrected body glory praise god for that just think you can eat all the carbs you want but these resurrected bodies will be perfected bodies not prone to illness not prone to age not prone to disease they will be perfected bodies glorified bodies without defect Praise the Lord. The current heaven, as I mentioned to you, is not the final domain of God or the saints, but there is going to come a day where there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Listen, the Old Testament speaks of this in Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, the prophet says, I create a new heavens and a new earth. Listen to this. And the former things shall be remembered no more. Oh, glory to God. If you're saved, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm sure you have this experience and it's not unique to me. But if you're saved, I know that there are many times where the enemy may flood your mind with things you may have done before you were saved. And not only will the enemy just flood your mind with it, but the enemy will sow confusion into your mind to show you that you're not worthy of redemption, to show you that you're not worthy of Christ. And I'm sure many times you dwell on that. And you say, how could I be saved? How could God have saved me? And sometimes there are things that only we know. You see, even though if you are in Christ, you are forgiven of your sin, the Bible says, and this is an amazing truth, by the way, the Bible says this, that the Lord has taken our sins and He cast it in the sea of forgetfulness. He's thrown it into the deep parts of the sea and it's not remembered no more. The prophet said, Lord, if you were to mark our transgression, 
who would stand? Like if every single time we did something, there was a demerit, a demerit, a demerit, a demerit, a demerit, even after we were saved, who would stand? So God doesn't mark our transgression. God doesn't say, here goes Mark, you know, the former drug addict, or Tom, the former alcoholic, or, or this one or that one. He just looks and he sees the righteousness of Christ. But as human beings, we remember. We remember our sin. Maybe there were mistakes that we made. You know, sometimes there's mistakes you can't take back. Maybe there's mistakes we made we can't take back. Forgiven in the eyes of God, but in our memory, still present. And the enemy would use that to say, what a hypocrite you are. You call yourself a Christian. God's not going to save you. You're beyond salvation. The prophet says, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And the former things, all the former sins, they'll be remembered no more. Not only in the mind of God, but in our resurrected future estate. How glorious. How fantastic. Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 13-14. through 14. But according to his promise... We are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Oh boy, you know what happens? You've heard me say this time and time again. One of the sources of frustration so many times, a source of frustration so many times, is sometimes we look for justice in this world where there is no justice. And we get frustrated by that. We see, I mean, just take a look at the news this past week. I mean, look what's going on in in the Ukraine and with Russia. And this is happening all over the world, by the way. But we look for justice and we look for our leaders to give justice. And no justice comes. And it makes us frustrated. But yet the Word of God says a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness and that is God's righteousness, will prevail. Peter says this in that same verse. He says, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, he says, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless. Revelations 21, verses 3 and 4, John says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. Listen to this. And he shall dwell with them. And they should be his people. And God himself will be, shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall no longer be any death. And there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. And the first things have passed away. Is it any wonder why Psalm 116 says, Blessed in the sight of God is the death of one of his saints. So what the big question for us here today is, what type of people should we be in light of these truths? With this view of eternity, heaven standing before God, what sort of people should we strive to be? Well, the scripture tells us clearly from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew 7, verses 20 to 21, the Lord says this, So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, well, he just told us who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now he tells us who will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many people around today cry, Lord, 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 but Jesus Christ is not their Lord. Who are the ones that Jesus Christ is the Lord? Well, they're the ones who do the will of God who is in heaven. Well, then what's the next question? What's the will of God? The people that are destined to heaven, the people who have heaven as their future home, are 
characterized by an unsatiable desire to do the will of God. They are not characterized by something that they did in the past. They're not characterized by something they profess with their mouth but don't possess in their lives. They are not characterized by a form of religion without power. The people destined for heaven are characterized by delighting in and doing the will of God. What is the will of God? Jesus answered this, Luke 10, 32. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. It doesn't merely mean a verbal assent. It does not merely mean what Jesus is talking about. And it's like, I believe in Jesus, and that's it. The confession is the confession of the life. The life confesses the Father. And that is Him who Jesus will confess. In Revelation chapter 3, we see a great illustration. Go back one chapter in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 3, we see such a church composed of people compelled by the Spirit of God doing the will of God. In this church, this church of Philadelphia, suffered immensely, surrounded by hostile unbelievers. It stayed firm in obedience to Christ, so much so that the Lord Jesus Christ kept a permanent record in the Scripture of them. Look with me in Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, he who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. How glorious is this. How wonderful is this. Notice what it says of them. They're a small church. Not very reputable. Not big in influence. Not big in power. Right? And he says this, But the Lord Jesus Christ says of them, They have kept my word and have not denied my name. This was in a hostile environment. I think there are going to be many in the Ukraine, Ukrainian Christians, who are going to keep the word of God, who are not going to deny Christ. Some of them may indeed die for that very issue. Some of them may be thrown in prison and the key locked away, but they have remained faithful to the word of God. This is the will of God. This is confessing Him before the Father. Despite the perseverance, the Word of God says there that they did so. If you take a look here in verse, um, verse 9, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come to your feet, bow down at your feet. Notice verse 10, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance. And that means remaining under pressure, remaining and enduring under pressure this is what it means to confess him before the father we're in a day and age where everybody's telling us not to be able to confess him as such and the persecution that was presented them and still they did not deny the name of the lord as a result as a direct result they fulfilled the Word of God, in obedience to the will of God. So that the Lord Jesus Christ says this to them. Look at verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name this tells us something very obvious about god's people god's people are people who are obsessed with god what do you mean you mean they're fanatics yes 
in some sense. They're fanatics because their inclination is always toward God. Why? Because of the new birth that has been done in them. God's people desire God. God's people, listen to this, God's people will be rewarded by God with God. You follow that? God's people will be rewarded by God. And what is the reward? God Himself. To be in the presence of God is the very thing that motivates God's people. God's people have foretasted heaven here on earth. How have they foretasted heaven here on earth? How have we foretasted heaven here on earth? Through the new birth. Through the new birth. Through the indwelling Holy Spirit. In the community of the church. We have foretasted, a foretaste, a sampling of what heaven's going to be like. God has further granted the people of God the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who intercedes, who gifts, and fills us with the presence of God. You know what the church needs today? The church needs to be filled with the presence of God. If churches were filled with the presence of God, all the nonsense that goes on in churches would cease and desist. The love of Christ would be demonstrably put forth. The quarreling, the bickering, all the other different things would all stop and cease. We would yearn and long for God. And you know what? Because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we are able to enter the throne room of God and let our requests be made known to God. And we are able to think in righteous terms. We are able to read the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit and be fed. I say this again. I've never met anybody who professes to be a Christian who doesn't spend time in prayer, doesn't spend time in the Word, and doesn't spend time in a Bible-believing church that is powerful, strong, faithful, and unyielding. The people of God have great thoughts of God. People of God have great thoughts of God. And the people of God are a worshiping people. And people of God delight doing the will of God. To the people of God, being obedient to Christ is not an issue. It's a non-issue. I will be obedient because He loved me first. I will be obedient because I delight in doing the will of God. And so it's not an issue to labor for the kingdom. It's not an issue to serve through the church. By the way, the very institution that Christ died for, the church, it's not an issue, rather it's a delight. The people of God are not indifferent people, but are intentional in their worship of God. The people of God esteem others as greater than themselves. The people of God are willing to sacrifice the pleasures of this life for the advancement of the kingdom of God on earth. The people of God are praying people. People who think it is the highest blessing and the highest honor that the Lord would allow us to come before Him and hear our requests. All these are foretastes of heaven. The people of God are worshiping people, not by toe-tapping tunes, but they're worshiping people rather by the divinely inspired word of Scripture and the measure of grace that has been demonstrated to them. Hey, it's important that you know this, that the people of God are not perfect, but they're pardoned. They're not passive, but they're passionate. Not cold, but they are consumed with Christ. The people of God are not religious, but relational. And that relation is with Jesus Christ. The people of God love God more than their own life, and it shows. And for these people, it is written, as the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.9, he says, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of men 
all that God has prepared for those who love Him. Let me tell you something. You could imagine it. You could maybe think you know it. But all that God has prepared for man, for those who love Him, cannot even be conceived in the human mind. Lastly, the people of God are persuaded in whom they have believed. And the people of God do not fear death. They have peace in death and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that their eternal destiny is indeed heaven. I've had the honor, the honor to be with people as they passed. Phenomenal honor. The peace that comes upon them. The stillness and the beauty in their death. As I, as I mentioned earlier, I stayed with my dad. When it was all done, I tell people to this very day, it was the most beautiful experience I ever had. As I watched him go, I told Barbara, I said, I had this picture in my mind. This is not literal, okay? So don't, don't, I'm not prophesying or saying something heretical. But I had this picture in my mind as I left the hospital for the last time. I had this picture as if me and my dad, you know, my dad was 89 years old. It was a few months from being 90, so he kind of walked hunched over and he walked a little bit slow. But I had this picture I always grab him by the arm and I sort of steady him, right? And I had this picture that him and I were walking up to the gates of heaven and I was helping him get there. And then the gates of heaven opened up and my dad turned to me and said, okay, I got to go now. I got to go on my own. And I watched my dad walk into the gates of heaven and the gates closed. And I, it, it, it's, it's just an image I have in my mind. But if I think of my dad, he... he he never feared. He wasn't afraid. I've told you this time and time again. My dear friend, evangelist Dan Garlic, used to come here and preach to us, right? Dan Garlic, right before he died, called me up. Barbara and I were sitting on the porch outside our house. He said, brother, they say I'm not going to see the morning. And he, we started talking, and now he knew he was about to die. He had suffered with pancreatic cancer. And his last words to me were, Mark, finish well. Finish well. And he said to me something that stays with me to this very day. He said, listen, I promise you, I promise you that when I die and I get to heaven, I'm going to go see Jesus first. He said, then I'm going to go see my dad. He said, but I promise you I'm going to go see your dad and I'm going to tell you, Dad, all the things that are going on there in Orlando. And he said that with a certainty, like I was going to tell you, come up here and take a red pencil. No fear. No fear in death. We sing that, don't we? No guilt in life, no fear in death. Why? Because this is the power of Christ in me. Revelations 22, I think I read this to you, 22.14, it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates, into the city. The Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, listen, this is the type of people we should be, right? If you have been raised up with Christ Keep seeking things above. Don't you, Listen what he says. Keep seeking things above. And he goes and he says, where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not things of the earth. We have it the other way around. We're so focused on the things of the earth. We give little credence to the things that are above. Believers in Jesus Christ that are born again and are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. Believers in Christ, we are to set our minds on things above. I mentioned this to you, A.W. Tozer mentions this too. He says, you know, instead of 
of Christians by unbelievers that you're so heavenly minded you're of no earthly good. But what do we see going on today? We see people who profess the name of Jesus Christ that are so earthly minded they're of no heavenly good. And far be it that that should be said about any one of us. So many that love the world, they love the things of the world, they're obsessed with the world, but they believe that when they stand before the Lord, they're going to pull out their magic card that says, hey, I accepted Christ and everything's going to be good. Dear friends, listen, the Word of God is clear. Be not deceived, whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We started this message speaking of the glories of heaven. We saw the beauty of heaven in Revelation 4, the throne room of God. We looked who is in heaven today. The new heaven, the new earth that is to come. We defined heaven. We looked at the three types of heaven. And my hope is for believers to cast their eyes on what we say we believe and with joy long for the glories of heaven. My hope and prayer with this message is to arouse and to provoke to jealousy in those who have not given heaven and the glories of God a second thought, perhaps the Holy Spirit would convict the one who has a form of religion but doesn't have power, that some would be moved from their sin and their indifference and moved to Christ. You know, the new birth has provided believers with eternal life with God. But unbelievers also have eternal life. But not with God. In a Christless eternity. Away from God. Away from the glories of God. An attorney reserved for the lawless and those who have neglected so great a salvation. An eternity in hell. Why take that chance? Today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as your fathers did in the wilderness and they provoked me and I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Today if you hear his voice, turn from your sin. Trust Christ and Christ alone for your eternal salvation and you will indeed experience the glories of heaven. Now lastly, I say this to the believers in Christ. Oh, the joy that awaits us in heaven. Oh, to be with our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, to see Him face to face. Oh, to meet in fellowship with those that have gone before us. For me personally, I can't wait to see my dad. I can't wait to see my mom. I can't wait to see some of the Sunday school teachers who invested into me as a young child only to see the fruit, never to see the fruit be born because they got called up. But I'll tell you what, I want to see the Apostle Paul. I want to see Peter. I want to see the prophet Isaiah. I want to see Moses. I want to meet Elijah. I want to meet the thief on the cross. I want to see the angels flying back and forth. And I'll tell you best of all, I want to fall at the feet of Jesus. I want to fall at the feet of Jesus. And I want to touch the nail-scarred hands. And I want to, I want to put my hand on His side. And I want to see those, those pierced feet and the scars from the crown of thorns. And I just want to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In and of myself, I don't deserve to be here, Lord, but because of your great mercy, oh God. And I want to worship at the throne of God before the presence of God unveiled. Nothing between us. Before the throne room of God saying glory, 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 holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy is God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
and to cry out, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, precious Holy Spirit, for so great a salvation and an undeserved reward in heaven. You know, those old hymn, it's called What a Day It Will Be. Some sometimes mostly sung at funerals. But that old hymn says this, Oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Just to look into His face, this One who saved me by His grace, when He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day. What a glorious day that will be. Today was an introduction to heaven. Next week we're going to take a look at what will believers be like in heaven. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Father, sometimes I feel like the Apostle John there does not seem to be adequate words to even scratch the surface topically. But, oh God, I pray that in light of the little revelation that we have, that you would move us to be the men and women that you have called us to be, Father. That our lives would confess you before men and to hear those blessed words father as you confess as jesus confesses us before you lord god so father spur our hearts to righteousness and to grace and if there be any here who know not the savior father we pray that you would just prick their hearts, oh God. That they would turn from their wicked ways. That they would reach out to anyone here in this church and turn from their wicked ways and turn to Christ. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.